I want to speak from the subject, uh, why we don't rest. And I want to, um, we're going to go to an ancient passage in what is now known John, as John chapter 9, and we'll get there in a few minutes. But I want us to try to extrapolate from thousands of years ago, which I think is incredibly relevant and prevalent, prevalent today, uh, and, and understand further why maybe many of us can't settle down. Why can't we get rest? Why can't we get recuperation? Why aren't we sleeping well? Um, isn't it interesting? I wish like 30 years ago or so that I invested in companies that like help people sleep um, because we have a whole industry now. It must be a billion dollar industry, the sleep industry, right? Whoop, mood ring, right? And it's all like monitoring your sleep and are you sleeping well? We've discovered that sleep is essential. Fun facts. You ready for some fun facts? Do you know a giraffe sleeps one and a half hours? That's it, every day. Did you know that? A giraffe. Did you know that there's a brown bat that sleeps 19 and a half hours a day on average? Which are you, the giraffe or the bat? <laughs> That's not really the message, but it's kind of fun, right? <laughs> are you more giraffe or are you more bat? Um, sleep is an interesting, rest is such an interesting topic. Uh, we all want it. But oftentimes in our day and in our age, it seems deeply elusive. Here's a funny observation I've made. I can't tell if sleeping in is something I should be proud of or something I should keep to myself. Am I the only one? Like, it's amazing the different reactions I get from different people when I tell them on any particular day, which is hopefully many days a week where I sleep in. Now, my job, um, it's an interesting job. I'm kind of an on-call person, right? Like you think about a pastor, a preacher, what do they do? Um, I pretty much sit on my phone all day and I text with you. And then I voice memo you, and then I call you, and then I FaceTime you, and I check in with people all the time, right? It's kind of this, this, this uh, my phone is just constantly moving and I'm checking in with people, how are they doing? And then I'm like, let's meet up at Blue Bottle. Let's meet at Starbucks. And if it's like a, tr it's like a trendy person, they're like, Blue Bottle. They're like, Destroyer, Arts District. And then if it's like just someone that's like just got to LA, they're like, let's meet at Starbucks. You know, so there's like a number of different meetings I have throughout the week. I love, I love you guys so much. But you could tell like the kind of person you are by like where you want me to meet you. It's fascinating. Want to go on a hike? I know who you are. All right. <laughs> All right. I got more, but I'm going to stop because I love you. But the point is, like I, I'll tell people like, I slept in today. And sometimes I'll have people like, wow, must be nice. It's like, okay, I won't tell them that again. Then there's other people like, I slept in. I'm pastor, I'm so happy to hear that you're getting good rest. I really, really appreciate that. That is, that is, that is absolutely wonderful. Now, I must admit, I wish the latter was more regular, but it's not. Most of my life, um, I didn't, I, I have been dumb and happy. And what I mean by that is I thought everyone would be so thrilled that I can sleep in. In fact, I have friends who are like, oh, if only I could sleep in. Teach me how to sleep in. It's like, I was a parent. I raised young kids. Now I can't sleep in anymore, et cetera, et cetera. Chelsea's not great at sleeping in. I have a gift, uh, my spiritual gift, sleeping in. <laughs> I love it so much. In fact, you should, you should know that approximately three and a half hours ago before this sermon, I decided if I'm going to preach on rest, I should do it. 
So I took an hour nap today because I felt like that's a, isn't it like that's good preparation if you're going to talk about it, live it. I kind of dream too of like pastoring a church where everybody sleeps in while the whole world complains against us. Like, wouldn't that be so cool if our church, uh, last week, this is why, last week, 530,000 people worshiped with us from 86 different countries. Isn't that wild? Just through, via our little application, people are engaging. Can you imagine if we could mobilize hundreds of thousands of people around the world that all sleep in? <laughs> None of you are excited. Because why? Because you are driven and you are motivated and you are building a career, building a brand, carving out a beachhead and making a difference. That's wonderful. I'd like to sleep in because I'm 43 and I'm tired of building a brand and I'm tired of establishing a beachhead and I just want to go to Italy. So that's how I feel. Sleep is an interesting thing. Think about, here's the four primary like um, um, like, like we use sleeping and the concept of sleep to describe excitement, stress and sickness, focus and strength, right? Like you can tell someone like, I was so excited, I couldn't even sleep. I, I didn't even sleep all night. I was so excited we were going to Disneyland. It's gonna be amazing. It reopened, it's amazing, we're going. I couldn't even sleep, I was so excited, right? And you're like, ah. Yeah. And then there's the, I was so stressed. Like someone texted me two days ago. I haven't slept in days. And that's their way of relaying to me, that's how stressed they are. That's how sick things have become. I, I haven't slept in days. Where conversely, someone's like, I can't sleep, I'm so excited, right? But we also use lack of sleep or lack of rest to speak of how focused we are. Have you noticed this? I only sleep uh, two to three hours a night. I've, I've trained myself, I read a book on the Navy SEALs, and I have learned to train myself to only need three hours of sleep. And apparently you only need to live approximately 30 years as well. Right, like ladies and gentlemen, can't we at least conclude that like we now know we need sleep? Like the science, it's 2022. We just gotta stop the whole like, I only need two hours a night. No you don't. You're a liar, and we all know you're a liar. Like, you need more sleep than that, okay? As your pastor, I am here to promote more sleep! Yeah. It's my whole message. All right, let's, let's, let's hold hands and close in prayer. I'm kidding. You need more sleep, but, but this is what we do. We're like, yeah, I don't, I don't sleep much. I don't I just, you know, I'm, I'm focused. Oh, oh, you're so focused, you don't rest. And then... Lastly, how about this one? Like we, our lack of rest and sleep is a sign of professional strength. Have you heard this one? I haven't taken a day off in two and a half years. And we're like, now that's an American hero. You know, every year there is well over a million, a million days of paid time off that go unused in the professional realm in the United States of America. We are officially the country of all countries that see rest, vacation, days off, evidently as weakness. In fact, there was a time where, you know, whoever was the manager or the leader or the boss or the coach, right, you would determine who was most committed by who didn't rest, right? First in, last out. That's how we roll. And listen, I, some of you are like, you are literally 
destroying the mantra of our business. And I have a whole row of, of, of my partners here. What are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm just saying, let's just stop for a moment and consider this concept of rest and sleep. It's a little bit confusing in our country. It's a little bit confusing in our context. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it strength? Is it weakness? Right? Like, I can't ever tell anyone I'm tired. I, can't. I was listening to an athlete in preparation for uh, one of my favorite sporting events, which is one of the big golf tournaments that starts tomorrow. And, and they, they, they literally were doing an interview, and they were like, yeah, you can never show your, your opponent that you're tired. We never show that we're tired. We never show that we're tired. Now, why do I bring up all of these cultural concepts? Because they're affecting you whether you're willing to admit it or not. I wonder if your relationship with rest and sleep is a little wonky. Mine is. I don't know sometimes, like, are you like me? Like, I kind of read the room, and if I'm in a room where everyone's like, we don't really rest because we're so productive and so focused and so type A and we're such achievers and we're so amazing, our mentality is powerful, then I kind of like, I downplay that I slept until 10.30 that morning. I'm like, yeah, man, I, I was out late last night helping people, but it was like out to dinner with my friends, you know, but like, but I, am I the only one that does that? Am, am I the only one that kind of reads a room and doesn't know what to do with rest? Rest is that concept. It's like, what do I, wait, are we, are we for it? Are we against it? Are we with it? Are we about it? Are we, are we, is six hours cool? Is three hours cool? Is nine hours cool? At one time, is it super cool? Like, should I tell everyone I got up at 5 a.m.? Should I tell everyone I went slept? Like, what, what is right? Now, some of you are like, Judah, this is ridiculous. Everyone knows. The bottom line is everyone's different, and sleep needs to be personal, and it needs to be a decision you personally make for yourself, except we're not doing that. We're pressuring ourselves one way or the other, and frankly, I would argue big picture, totality of our culture, the main impetus around rest and sleep is that is for the people who are weak. If you're strong, you don't need that much rest and sleep if you're strong. Now, all the data is starting to pour in, and I just want to thank the next generation, us Gen Xers and the boomers. We weren't so good at this, but thank God for millennials, and I don't know what the, the next generation's called. Gen Z, my, my apologies, Gen Z. That's super awkward. Um, but I will say, shout out to Gen Z and millennials. You seem to kind of be picking up on what the research and data is telling us. And, and that is that, that we actually, you, you, don't, you don't need sleep just when you feel like you need sleep. You, you need sleep. Now, when you suddenly desperately need sleep, that means you have needed it for quite some time. And so we typically don't rest as much as we should. We don't. And I'm just asking tonight, why? Why don't we rest well? Here's an interesting thought. When's the last time you ran into someone and you're like, they seem so rested, so peaceful, so at ease, so considerate, wonderful listener, at ease, paced, rhythmic, overall, what should I say? Pleasant. When's the last time you met someone like that? That's not normal in our culture. That's not normal. That's not how we roll. In fact, if you met someone like that, you'd be like, oh, they must be broke. 
you laugh because you know what I'm talking about up here. Right? You're like, no, 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 you can't be kind. You can't be rhythmic. You can't be slow and a good listener. You, you got to be, be driven. It's such an interesting time to be alive. And yet, sleep and rest was almost as confusing in ancient biblical times. God, forgive me for how quick and crudely I work through this, but for sake of time, bear with me. God makes a nation. He makes a nation and he names it Israel. And still to this day, there is a unique bond and covenant and commitment that the creator of heaven and earth has with the nation of Israel. He calls that covenant eternal. Jesus was a Jewish man. There still is I believe, a blessing on the Jewish people. It is a mystery, it is a wonder, it is a sign to the nations of the world. Even the preservation of Israel to this day in our modern era is a sign and a wonder. When God invented this nation, he gave them a lot of ways to approach their life which was maybe counter to other countries in other continents and other parts of the world. Now, one of the things God was going to set his nation apart to be different is they were going to be a rested nation. They were going to be a nation of rest. Now, you may not see it like this, but my reading of scripture is that rest is still one of the purest forms of worship we have left on earth. You need to understand if you don't rest well, what you need to work on is worship. For worship and rest truly can be, in fact, synonyms and one of the same. So God invents this concept called the Sabbath, and all of Israel is to rest one day a week. Now, this, of course, beckons all the way back to the creation account that Moses writes for us in what is known as the book of Genesis or the book of beginnings, where it says that God on the seventh day rested. Now, it is imperative to understand God doesn't need rest, but he rested as an example to you and to me. Now, as time would go on, Israel would start to get confused about the Sabbath. So much so, the Sabbath became a very cruel rule. That's fun to say. Cruel rule. I love it when I rhyme. You're like, you to grow up. All right, I got Diet Coke on my back. Relax. Cruel <laughs> rule. And here's what ended up happening. All of a sudden... These religious leaders amongst Israel, these representatives for God in the synagogues and the likes, began to enforce, and still even today in our modern era, there is a cruelty sometimes around Sabbath rest. It is said that you can do nothing on the Sabbath. You can't take an elevator on the Sabbath. Now, in Jesus' day, there was great debates about the Sabbath. For instance, I know this sounds silly, there was much debate of whether or not a parent could lift a child on the Sabbath. There's one ancient writing I read where there was a debate of whether or not women could wear wigs on the Sabbath because that was work to put the wig on. It gets worse. There are writings where we understand that there are debates of whether or not those without a limb who had a wooden limb uh, determined whether or not they could put on the wooden limb to function on the Sabbath because maybe that too was work. The 
concept of rest and Sabbath gets so complicated that Jesus in his day is quoted as saying that, that, that man is not for the Sabbath. In other words, man is not to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was to serve man. So the goal wasn't like to make rest a rule as much as it's a sacred act of remembrance and a ritual of worship. The goal, like, like I, love, I love Christians, bear with me if you don't know, but fasting is such an interesting concept still today in our, in our acts of worship because I know people who to this day, who fasting becomes about fasting. That's not the point. Like just skipping a meal, just, just call it intermittent fasting. Don't call it like fasting for the Lord. Fasting for the Lord is like your acts, the whole idea is you take the time you would be eating to maybe contemplate him, converse about him, sing about him, write poetry about him, go sit in the grass with him. Like that's the goal. But what we do is we just skip meals and get agitated and are super mean to our fellow, you know, Christians and our families. And we're like, what are you doing? I'm fasting for the Lord. Can you stop doing the fasting thing? Because while you're fasting, we're dying because your attitude sucks. Right? Like, so it's not, tonight I'm not promoting, nor am I allowed to promote, that you absolutely have to have a day off. Where now all of a sudden you serve the day off without the day off serving you. The Sabbath was not merely about rest. Yes, it was about recuperation. Yes, it was about rejuvenation. But I'll say it again. The rest was about remembrance. Sometimes when we're not still, it's hard for us to remember. The scripture says, be still and know that I am God. So let me put in a synonym for rest. Let me put a synonym for sleep. Let me put in another word that might resonate even a little bit deeper. When's the last time you were still? Now think about what the scripture says. It says, be still and know that I am God. And I'll say this for my own journey. This is a gross application. This is no interpretation. Bear with me. But I have noticed that oftentimes when I'm not still, I think I am the God of my own life. But when I am still, I remember again, I'm not God. <laughs> I, I, I take off my Messiah complex, my captain of the ship complex, my, my captain of my own destiny complex, my I'm in charge of all things Smith family related, it's all up to me. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. I take that off in my stillness, in my rest, and I remember. I think one of the reasons God invented this deactivation that happens to us at night is so that when we woke up, woke up, when we wake up, I think it's supposed to go something like this. It never does, but I think it's supposed to. I shouldn't say it never does. Maybe it does for you every day because you're so spiritual. But I think it should go something like this. You wake up and go, oh, I'm still here. So is the moon and the sun and the grass and the hills and the rivers. How did it ever survive without me? Oh, my eyebrows are still there, and I wasn't even busy trimming them all night. Wow, this is amazing. It's a memo, but are you getting the memo? That he holds the world in his hands. Let me say it like this. He holds your world in his hands. 
And I think every night the reason your brain just deactivates, like it doesn't, but you know what I mean, deactivates is so that when it activates again, you're like, wow, <laughs> you did it again. You did it again, man. You booted me up again. You woke me up again. And, and, and that's why there was a time, some of you grew up in church and you remember these old saints. And like every Sunday started with somebody on the mic that was usually like one of the pastors before the preacher came out. And they would say, hallelujah, church. Praise God, everybody. Everybody, praise God. God is good. He is, he is good all the time. All the time, God's good. Come on, somebody. I'm just grateful I woke up this morning. Anybody in the house? Yeah, amen, amen. I'm just grateful I got, God woke me up in my right mind. Can I get it with yes, amen, amen. I'm just glad I got my lips, hips, and fingertips. Come on, slap three people and say, I got my lips. You know, like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, there was a day where Jesus worshipers were just grateful to wake up. But now we, as soon as our brain activates, we're like, let's go. <laughs> I didn't move to LA for nothing. I'm an achiever, right? And you got your whiteboard out and you got all your mission statement and your goals and you about to build a media empire. Everybody knows why you moved from Springfield, Missouri to Los Angeles. Came here to build your brand. No time to sleep. I'm out on the grind. Wow. Right? And what's weird is like, this is the same stuff that's been going on for thousands of years. This isn't new. We think we're like new and innovative. We're like, we're the first generation that's like, we're gonna rob our sleep because that's gonna make us better at what we do. Every generation has attempted a version of this. Why don't we rest? Now, this brings us to our passage of investigation and study tonight, which I'm very excited because I'm about to show you something I have never seen before, and it's amazing. If you've ever heard the story where Jesus spits in the dirt and makes mud and smears it on a blind man's face and then tells him to wash in a pool, and he does, and then he can see, then you're going to love this night. Because that's the passage, passage we're going to go to. In John chapter 9, let's start reading in verse 1. We'll put it up on the screen if we can, guys. John chapter 9. Afterward, as Jesus walked down the street, he noticed a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, teacher, whose sin caused this guy's blindness, his own or the sin of his parents? Jesus answered, neither. One, one translation says, this isn't a cause and effect thing. Very interesting. It happened to him so that you could watch him experience God's miracle. Now, what you might misappropriate there is that you assume that God made him blind so that he could open up his eyes. That is by no means what Jesus means. He means something bigger, and we'll talk about it in a few minutes. Going on to verse 4, while I'm with you, it's daytime. We must do the works of God who sent me while the light shines, for there is coming a dark night when no one will be able to work going on. For as long as I'm with you, my life is the light that pierces the world's darkness. Ooh, that's good. That's that's a good message. Verse 6, it's, it's, it's like putting a kid in a candy store. Then Jesus spat on the ground. Isn't that a great biblical term, spat? He spat on the ground and made some clay with his saliva. Yeah. 
It's kind of like getting Diet Coke down your back. All right, I'm kidding. Come on, everybody, relax. Then he anointed the blind man's eyes with the clay. And he said to the blind man, now go and wash the clay from your eyes in the ritual pool of Siloam. So he went and washed his face, and as he came back, he could see for the first time in his life. Wow. This caused quite a stir among the people of the neighborhood, for they noticed that the blind beggar was now seen. They began saying to one another, isn't this the blind man who once sat and begged? Some said, no, it can't be him. He just, he just looks like him. All the while, the man kept insisting, it is me. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> first day he could see, and they're like, nah, it's not you. He's like... I thought you were prettier. Definitely thought you were taller. All right. I am the man. That's such a great whole sermon we're not getting into. Finally, they asked him, well, then what happened to you? He replied, I, I, I met the man named Jesus. He rubbed clay on my eyes and said, go to the pool named Siloam and wash. So I, I went. While I was washing the clay from my eyes, I began to see for the very first time ever. Like, I just told you guys that. Ugh. So the people in the neighborhood inquired, where is he? He's like, I don't know. Once I could see, I was gone. I don't know, he went somewhere. I don't know. This is such a good story. So the people marched him over to the Pharisees. Well, you come with us, sir. <laughs> right? This is so human. Listen to this. So they marched him over to the Pharisees. And they were concerned. What? They were concerned because the miracle Jesus performed by making clay with his saliva and anointing the man's eyes. Let's read that again. This is funny. Because they were concerned because the miracle Jesus performed by making clay with the saliva, anointing the man's eyes, happened on the day of rest. And no one was allowed to work. <sighs> we are so weird, aren't we? Think of this. This really happened. This is a real, true story. It's not a based on a true story. It's a real story. They're like, well, so you can see now? You get over here. This is ridiculous. We are taking you to church because you just had a miracle on the wrong day. <laughs> I love the guy who's like, yeah, I don't really care about your, your days, man. I'll be honest with you. This is my kind of guy. So... We go on, and the Pharisees asked him, well, how, how, how did this happen? Uh, he's like, how many times do I have to tell this story? So there's a guy, he, 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 he anointed my eyes with clay, and, uh, and, and you know, I, I, I washed, and now I can see for the first time in my life. Can I go now? This is kind of all new to me. Can I go? An argument broke out. <laughs> An argument broke out with the Pharisees over the healing of the blind man on the Sabbath. Some said, the man who performed this healing is clearly not from God. He doesn't even observe the Sabbath. Now, keep in mind, this whole debate is about rest. This whole thing is about, they, they can't see the forest for the trees. This whole thing is about like this, this isn't restful. Again, they're serving. Rest has become the point. He doesn't even observe the Sabbath. Others said, if Jesus is just an ordinary sinner, how could he perform a miracle like that? Verse 17, this prompted them to turn on the man healed of blindness. <laughs> so they put him on the spot in front of them all, demanding an answer. They asked, who did you say he is, this man who opened your blind eyes? And the guy goes, he's a prophet of God. 
this gets worse, just prepare yourself. Still refusing to believe that the man had been healed and was truly blind from birth, the Jewish leaders called for the man's parents to be brought to them. Get his mom and dad. <laughs> this really happened. So they asked his parents, is this your son? Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's our boy. Was he really born blind? Uh, uh, yes, sir, yeah, yeah, he, he definitely was. So they pressed his parents. Then how is it that he's not blind anymore? I love the parents. We don't know, really know. <laughs> parents of social media influencers. We don't really know. All right. <laughs> that was good. All right, so does your son have a job? We don't really know. <laughs> How does your daughter make money? We, I, I don't know. All right, here we go. <laughs> I got more but I'm being self-controlled. Okay. I love this. We don't know what happened to our son. I love this. Ask him. He's a grown adult. He can speak for himself. Parents haven't changed much. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Same. All right. Now, the parents were obviously intimidated by the Jewish religious leaders, for they had already announced to the people that if anyone publicly confessed Jesus the Messiah, they were going to be excommunicated. So they're like, we really like our church. Please don't kick us out of the church. So ask him. He's a mature adult. He can speak for himself. Next verse. So once again, they summon the man. This poor guy, man. Where has he been through all of these verses? He's somewhere like, can I go, please? Please. I've never seen people. Think about it, guys. I've never seen women before. Let me go. You know what I mean? The guy's just like, the whole world's in front of me. So once again, they summon the man who was healed of blindness and said to him, Swear to God to tell us the truth. We know, we know the man who healed you is a sinful man. Do you agree? Uh, what? <laughs> we got to make this an actual sitcom. Um, I don't, I don't, I can't speak. Wait, what? I don't, I don't, I didn't check in on his, I don't know. Wait, I don't know. All I know is that, I love this. All I know is I was blind, and now I can see. Can I go now? Listen to this. But, but what did he do to you? It goes on. How did he heal you? Guys, we are 26 verses in. Because Jesus gave a man his sight, but it was on the wrong day. That's where we're at. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did, he, what did he say to you? I, I told you. I told you once. You, you, now now he's, I like this guy. He's starting to go, you know what? Actually, I don't really, I'm not a member of this church. I don't care about these guys. Excommunicate me, please. I can see women. You know, like, he's like, why do you make me repeat? Now he starts taking shots. I like it. He's like, are you Wanting to follow him? Oh, they didn't like this. Listen to what they say, verse 28. This angered the Jewish leaders. They heaped insults on him. We can tell you're one of his followers. Now we know it. We are true followers of Moses. Moses is in heaven going, guys, he's the one. But we know that God spoke to Moses directly. But as for this one, we don't know where he's coming from. Well, what a surprise this is, the man said. 
You don't even, <laughs> I like this guy. He's exasperated. This is how I feel with children. You don't even know, kidding, everybody relax. You don't even know where he comes from, but he healed my eyes and now I can see. Think of his theme. I don't know, he, I can see now. Verse 31, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but only to godly people who do his will. Wrong. But that's what they believed. Yet, who has ever heard of a man born blind that was healed and given his eyesight for the very first time? I tell you, if this man isn't from God, he wouldn't be able to heal me like he has. Some of the Jewish leaders were engaged and said, just who do you think you are to lecture us? I mean, they just won't let this guy go, man. Is anyone else kind of tired of the story now? I'm like, how long is this going to go? Let him go. You know, he wants to date people. You were, <laughs> you were born a blind, filthy sinner. <laughs> so they threw him in the street. Man, the church just being the church. They threw him in the street. Wow. When Jesus learned they had thrown him out, he went to find him and said, do you believe in the Son of God? I love this guy. Listen to his response. Who is he, Master? Tell me so that I can place all my faith in him. Listen to Jesus. You're looking right at him. He's speaking with you. It's me, the one in front of you now. I love Jesus. How kind is he? He's like, he tells him four different ways. You're looking at me. I'm speaking to you. It's me, the one in front of you. I mean, in case if you're wondering, like, I just, God is so mysterious. He's really hard to determine if it's him. You know, listen to him. You're looking at me. I'm speaking to you. It's me right in front of you. Sounds like God. And we're like, where are you? You're looking at me. I'm speaking to you. It's me. I'm the one right in front of you. I can't find you. <laughs> Anyways, that's another sermon. Okay, next verse. The man threw himself at his feet and worshiped the Lord Jesus. Lord, I believe in you. Jesus said, I have, come to, I have come to judge those who think they see and make them blind. And for those who are blind, I have come to make them see. Interesting. So the next like, 10 minutes when we're done, okay? I want to make a, three observations, just three. Just three observations and we're done. Why don't we rest? Very interesting, heated, bizarre, wild, long, drawn out, painful, offensive, confusing, religious, traditional, ugh, that goes on for 30 some verses. And you know, you, you feel for the guy who's just like, I just can see, can I go, please? But it's all around this idea of rest. Now, something's in play here that maybe you haven't considered and I never considered until recently. And that is that the issue here at hand is that Jesus spit in the dirt and then with his hand, he made a clay. And that's, that's the crux, basically, of the argument. The argument is, if you were really from God, you wouldn't work up a clay because that's work on the day of rest. That's work on the day of rest. Of rest. Now, what Jesus, I believe, is introducing to us and to all who are willing to see, all who are willing to see, by the way, in the kingdom of God, you don't see until you recognize you're first blind. We'll talk about that in a moment. But Jesus is sending us a message. Now, here's something very interesting. If you understand the history of Israel and the Jewish people, you know that for 400 years, the Israelites, the Jewish people, were slaves in Egypt. Have you seen the Prince of Egypt? 
okay? There you go, all right? Prince of Egypt. 400 years. Now, for 400 years, Israel was not allowed to practice the Sabbath. Four centuries went by, and instead of taking a day of rest, what were the Jewish people doing? They were making clay to make bricks to build buildings for the empire of Egypt. I am telling you, I truly believe that Jesus intends to make clay on the Sabbath to send his people a message. And that is that for 400 years, your ancestors, my children, my sons and daughters, God would say, you made clay on the Sabbath, but I am here to say, I now will do for you. I will make the clay. I will work while you rest. And if you trust me in the rest, you will see me like you've never seen me before. You will have an understanding of me unlike you've ever had before. My brothers and sisters, there is an understanding of Jesus that comes with partnership and walking with him and working with him and following him. Jesus invites us on adventure and a journey, but there is also an understanding of the creator of heaven and earth that you only get when you lie down. He makes me, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Tonight, we are not focused on are you good at walking? Are you good at talking? Are you good at serving and loving and leading and caring? Oh, there are many, many nights in the Saban Theater we will cover those endeavors. But tonight, I am asking you, when was the last time you were still with him? Now, what are you doing when you're still with him? You are telling your soul that he's the clay maker. He's the clay maker. And the empire, if any empire shall be built, it will be because he builds it. For the labors labor in vain, and they stay up late at night, the ancient writer says. But God is the builder of the house. Are you the clay maker in your life, or is he the clay maker? Who's building your life? Are you the architect, or is he the architect? Are you so busy building your life, you can't afford a day off? I've got friends who literally started hashtags, no days off. Terrible hashtag. Other friends who started hashtags, no time for sleep. Terrible hashtag. And I told my friends those were terrible hashtags because they lead us to believe that the elite make their own clay. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus wants to make clay for you while you rest. He wants to build your life. Are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to lay down in green pastures by still waters and let him restore your soul? Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but in the process lose his own soul? By the way, I do believe that verse has some bearing on the subject of rest and margin.
What is, what, 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 I'm not saying that hard work and no days off can't build a wonderful career. I am just concerned, but by the time you realize you've built this beautiful brand and this wonderful career, you realize that you traded the buoyancy health of your soul. Because you were the architect and you were the builder and you carried the load and it was your efforts and it was your endeavors who did it. No, Jesus, I believe he works a ridiculous miracle. I truly believe that he smears it on the man's face because he doesn't want us to miss what he's doing. And I think he knew there would be a great debate over the subject of rest and whether or not. But Jesus is the Sabbath. The Sabbath was all about Israel focusing on God, not Israel focusing on the Sabbath. Rest is an opportunity for you to recall, rehearse, and remember. I am going to be the pastor in your life that says your day off needs to be as important, if not more important, than your other days. We are very self-important, and I love you enough to tell you the truth. You truly believe that your legacy and your career is everything, and I assure you, it is not. Your soul is eternal. Your career, temporary. Your career can wait while your soul rests. Be careful what you achieve through striving, for it will only be sustained through striving. And that's what happened to me with this church. And I'm being very honest with you. I became necessary. If I wasn't on stage, our church wasn't functioning in the way we all got used to it. If I wasn't live, if I wasn't in person, and I started to recognize that my physical body was deteriorating, my wife was having physical complications because we were traveling, flying, speaking, moving, going, doing the work of the Lord. And in the meantime, I forgot that the way you start it and build it is the way you sustain it. So you might say to yourself, the outcome of my career speaks for itself, preacher. You say I shouldn't be on the grind. You don't like my mentality. That is my hashtag. But I have brought in enormous amounts of income. Therefore, my outcome proves that you're wrong. See, you're the one hung up on the outcome. I'm the one hung up on the outcome. God isn't. You know what's wild about God? What God sees as a win Oftentimes in our culture, we're like, well, that's a loss. Like the business you shut down, God's like, win. I got something better. And you're like, loss. I have nothing. <laughs> God's like turning the proverbial page. And you're like, I'm at the end of my book. And he's like, you're just on to the next chapter. Right? So be careful now. What you build in your own strength will require that, your own strength. Those who labor, labor in vain, for the Lord builds the house. What if we started to reassess even our weekly schedule based on whether or not it is sustainable? Is this sustainable for you?
Can you keep this up? Are you, um, are you hurting what you love? Do you have, you have inner, inner growing disdain for what used to motivate you and move you? Those are signs of weariness. What you love, you now begrudge. Oh, I remember. I remember walking on stages like this going, I just got to get through it. And here you are going, I hope he makes it a good one because I'm not okay. And I'm up here going, I hope we get through this because I'm not okay. And we're all just gritting our teeth. And then I was going to think of other things we do, but I can't. I was like bawling our fists, gritting our teeth, clenching our... I won't say that. But the point is, like, who is it? Clinching our buns? Like, bro, grow up, preacher. All right. Here's three observations that I think will serve you. Here's why I don't think, here's why I think we struggle with rest. We are consumed with what we are doing. Listen, 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 listen to this. The first part of John 9 starts with an interesting question that's very human and very normal and very natural. I don't want you to feel bad for this, but this is what we do. Notice the disciples say to Jesus, why is this guy blind? Who did it? Whose fault is it? And Jesus goes, in one translation, he goes, wrong question. Oh, you think all of this is because of what a human does or doesn't do? That's not how it works. But that's how we believe. We believe that everything we do is cause and effect. You actually believe that the ability you have, the talent you possess, is because somehow you honed it, chose it, developed it. I mean, you can develop it, but friend, you were born with it. That's a fact, right? But we still, we think cause and effect because that's what we're taught at a very young age in the Western world. And we're taught that somebody, and this is what they said, they said, did they sin? Did their parents sin? Why are they blind? Because in antiquity, the pervasive thought in the culture was if you were, if you were lame, if you were paralyzed, if you were blind, if you were leprous, it's because somebody in your lineage, heritage, or you yourself did something bad that caused that. And Jesus basically says, that's not how it always works. In fact, the Bible actually says, like this seems to be a nod to Vegas. Time and chance happened to them all. That horse that won the Kentucky Derby 80 to 1. Am I the only person that's like, God, you could have told our church to bet a million dollars on the horse and we could have made 80 million for your glory. But you know, Jesus actually said that that horse won because it's time and chance. So somebody like, God had plans for that horse to win. Not necessarily. Now we don't like that because all of our sports stars at the end of their, their sports endeavors go, I just want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for making this possible. It's like, I, 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 oh, oh, yes, you have a body and a brain and everything. So he definitely does, but not always directly. Some of you don't like that, but that's the facts. Like when, you know, a boxer's like, I want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for helping me knock that guy out. That was awesome. Thanks, Lord. You know, it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, yes, God gave you a fist and arms and whatever, but like, you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, time and chance happen. There is such a thing as like, it's just sport, and God's like, hey, you're all my kids. Knock each other out. Literally, you know. Um, but we're consumed, aren't we? 
who, who, what human made this happen? And he's like, it wasn't a human. Stop. Right, and, 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 and that, that leads me to number two. We, number one is we're consumed with what we are doing when really the earth is about what God's doing. Keep that in mind. That's the invert, that's the converse. It's like, actually life is far more about, God, what are you doing? A better question instead of like, well, who, who's, resp- who's doing this, am I? What? It's like, God, what are you doing? So we don't wanna rest because we think it's all about what we're doing rather than being. So just stopping and being and not getting up and doing seems weak. In fact, here's my second observation. We think we're doing all this for God. And that's where it gets real wonky, isn't it? We're doing this for God. That's why we keep doing this. We don't rest because we think work is for the Lord. Rest is for the weak. Work is for God. The laborers are few, the old preachers would say. We need workers in God's field. We all need to go on missions trips. We've never met our neighbor but we need to go on missions trips. We're in litigation over the fence line of our lot line with our neighbor, but I'm gonna go to the ends of the earth and do missions. Why? I'm doing this for the Lord. And so rule keeping becomes something we do for the Lord. So this this whole thing that we read and we kind of were cheeky with and had fun with was, was all of these religious leaders like just, just overwhelming this newly, n- newly minted eye guy. You know, they're just like, hey, and he's just like, what's going on? Because they believe they're doing the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord. And then there are these scriptures like, you, you stay up in vain. Jesus says, you know, these people who pray, they pray long prayers in front of people and they're praying to themselves. They pray for a show, but we're doing it, we're working for the Lord. I haven't taken a day off in 28 years. Why? I'm a man of God. I'm a preacher. Whoa. So you think like I'm doing this for God. Do you know what God wants? He wants mercy. He wants justice, he wants peace, and he wants you to calm down. (laughs) I added that one. (laughs) That's not in that verse. He wants you to rest. He wants you to rest. I I wanna be a part of a community. Here's what I tell my friends, I really do. They'll be like, hey, I'm resting today, And, and I've started to say this, it makes me so happy It thrills me to know you're resting. Hey, are you resting well? Hey, take a break. Call it off. Cancel. Am I the only one that ever sets up meetings knowing I'm going to cancel them just because I want the endorphins? (laughs) I do. I mean, hopefully not with you, but I like set up meetings, you know, and I'll be like, cancel. Last one, and then I'm, I'm, I'm done. Why don't we rest? Well, we're consumed with what we're doing. We think we're doing it all for God. We feel compelled. It's for the Lord. How could I ever take a day off? I'm doing the Lord's work. And then lastly, we, uh, 
We don't think we're blind. This is the big one. This is the message of Jesus. We don't think we're blind. I'm not blind. Think about it for a moment. And I don't mean to be insensitive to those who are blind. So you, you bear with me here because I need to try to show you something. We don't think we're blind. So here's what I mean. We think we see clearly. We know best. Our opinion is facts and our group is right. Rest? Recalibrate? Recalibrate what? We are a Democrat church. We're a Republican church. Our cause is the good cause, the right team, the right perspective. We, oh, I, I am not blinded to what is going. I, I see. So no one needs to lead you when you can see. You're not dependent when you can see. You're independent when you can see. Look at this, John chapter nine, verse 39. I just read it for your listening ears. Jesus said, I have come to judge those who think they see and make them blind. Now he's talking about people who think there is no such thing as error, wrong, and sin. And for those who are blind, I have come to make you see. Now, that sounds really harsh, but Jesus is working from a fact. And the fact is, we are all, by definition, blind in comparison to God and what he's doing on earth. We are blind. What is God doing? The Bible says we see dimly at best. And every once in a while, a seer or a prophet in the house of God, somebody who can, and they'll say, I believe God in the future. And we go, ooh, that felt maybe right, but we're blind. But we act like we can see. That's why we're so opinionated, you know? Because we think we can see. <laughs> There's somebody like, well, Judah, he said he would take the blind and make them see. Yeah, but that's like saying, look, I got sin. Jesus has forgiven me, so I'll never struggle with sin again. No, you're always going to have to be dependent because there is a measure of blindness when it comes to this life. Who saw the pandemic coming? Come on. I've been alive long enough to know when the year 2000 hit, all of the experts were saying the computers were gonna shut down and we were all gonna die. So we got baked beans and stuff and put them in our house with water from Costco so that we could all live an extra six days. <laughs> Dad, thanks for getting the beans. Well, eat slowly, I only got Costco pack, so I don't think we can make it for 10 years. <laughs> Aren't we blind or is that just me? Aren't we as blind as can be? Where are those who are willing to admit unless he guides me, unless he leads me, unless I hear him, 
Unless I sense a still small voice behind me saying, this is the way, walk in it. I am just as blind as everybody else. My selfishness blinds me. My self-importance blinds me. My self-seeking blinds me. My lust blinds me. My greed blinds me. My myopic perspective from my one vantage point as a white male in the Western world, it blinds me. Are we not blind? But the news anchors and the newscasts and the Fox and the CNN, these anchors sit there and they act like they can see. So now we have experts on subjects like the plight of humanity. Who is an expert on human beings? Who is the man? Who is the woman? All the arrogance of the human condition to pretend like you can see when you and I both know we're blind as can be. I don't know what tomorrow holds because I'm blind and so I need him. And when I rest, when I slow down, the clay maker, what I've learned about Jesus is that he'll ask you to go places blind. Now go. Where am I going? I'll guide you. Listen. Okay, am I going to be okay? Just listen. You're going to get married now. I don't know if I can stay married. I don't know if I can do marriage. I don't know if I can. Just trust me. Just trust me. So I'm going to help you. Now, now you, you're going to have a baby. I don't know if I can be a dad. I don't know if I can be. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel. I just, just, I'm going to guide you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to direct you. I'm going to help you. I was blind. And the man said this. He said, I don't know all these questions you ask but I was blind, but now I see. And here's my question for you, friends. What did the blind man do? What work did he accomplish so that he could see? It was on the Sabbath and the clay maker, the builder of the ages, the star maker, the sea maker, the river creator, he spat in the dirt and he made clay, beckoning back to 400 years of slavery of his people. And he said, now I will be the clay maker and I will open the eyes of the blind to see me. You cannot earn your sight. You cannot deserve your sight. You just rest in the work of the clay maker. And so when I rest, and then I get up from my rest, I am reminded that he's the way maker, the clay maker, the life leader, the guide, the counselor, and the king. And I willingly admit, I'm blind. Have you been desperately trying to see? Thinking if you read and study, you'll be able to, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Jesus is the key to your spiritual sight. God is not the author of confusion, church. So if you came here tonight up under confusion and calamity, 
thinking that God was using that to direct you. He is not, but he will steal you on this night. He will calm you on this night and he will show you how he leads you. So let's just stay here for a moment. <laughs> I'm just looking for people who are willing. What if, what if we were the church? We were the, everybody was willing to admit, I can't really see much at all. I don't. Jesus said, that's all, that's all, that's all. I, I, I need you to be honest. We call it humility. God calls it honesty. I just need you to be honest. You're blind. Yes, I am, sir. Open my eyes. Remember that old song? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. Open our eyes tonight. I got a sense, and I'm, I'm, this isn't the sermon. The sermon's done, so this doesn't count, Amanda. This doesn't count. I got a sense that God, there are some people here, you're unsure of your future. Uh, you're unsure of the past. Uh, you've been trying to get clarity on something. And, 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 and actually, what you're after is not what you need. What you need is a sense that the guide and the claymaker and the waymaker is with you where you are. You actually don't need to figure it out. You don't need to manufacture it. You don't need to work it out. You need to be still and know he's God. <laughs> His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he will rise again. The path, of, the path of the just will go brighter and brighter to the coming day. You, my friend, will go from grace to grace, and you will go from glory to glory, and you will go from strength to strength. This is not the end of a thing. This is the beginning of a thing. This is a whole new chapter and a whole new season and a whole new beginning. But I'm here to tell you, this next chapter of your life determination. It will be determined by your dependence. Lean in. Rest. Rest easy, my friend. Lean into the arms who will guide you and hold you and walk you and comfort you and keep you. He's enough. Will you close your eyes just for a moment? Just for a moment. Tonight's unusual, right? Because by the closing of our eyes, May we be declaring to our own soul, I can't see without him. I can't see without him. And so we stop to acknowledge that I am not the clay maker. He's the clay maker. Make the clay for my way, God. For I trust in you. I want you right now in your brain, with your eyes closed, I want you to see all that you're carrying, all the pending assignments and projects and intentions. And I want you to take all of those cares and I want you to roll them on to him. You leave here tonight lighter, dependent, restful, and still watch and see for God will work a miracle in your life and it will be wonderful to behold 
He will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask, think, or even imagine possible. If you're here tonight and you say, Judah, I would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only comes through the finished work of Jesus. For he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become right in our relationship with God. If you want the forgiveness that only Jesus offers, all of your error, your wrong, and your sin forgiven and covered in one moment of receptivity, if you want that gift, it's yours by simply accepting, believing, and receiving. If that's you on the count of three, I want you to lift up your hand and put it right back down. You know who you are one two three if that's you just shoot your hand up and say that's me i i receive i receive i believe god i thank you that your forgiveness flows freely your forgiveness flows freely and whom the son forgives and whom the son sets free is free indeed now lord we dedicate these few remaining moments we have while the musicians and the singers prepare god we're going to be still in front of you we're going to be still in front of you the clay maker the way maker we trust you lead us Guide us, prompt us, show us.